Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to ILMB Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the industry to find out how they're succeeding in today's competitive market. Today, I have Milos Dolosjevic on the show, and he's a rookie, sort of. And so you may be like, Scott, I don't know if this guy's a rookie. Okay, so he's been a mortgage broker for just over a year and a half, two years. And previously, he worked at a bank for 14 years and decided after 14 and a half years of working at the bank and having a successful banking career to make the jump into being a mortgage broker. We talk about some of the myths of what he had thought being a mortgage broker was, the thought process he went through when he decided to make the jump, and what's been the upside. You know, what's that look like for him in terms of business production and what kind of advice he'd give himself? I know that there are people out there that are technically rookies as mortgage brokers but they come from banking. And I thought this would be a fun conversation to have and just to get an insight from somebody who took the leap from being a bank specialist and then jumping into being a mortgage broker. One of the things we talked about before we turned the recorder actually, which was kind of interesting is that, so his volume is actually lower than when he was a bank. He said he did like 70 million at the bank and I think 46 as a mortgage broker, but between the higher commission and tax benefits. So when you're a mortgage broker, you can actually be self-employed. When you work at a bank, you're an employee. He says he's about 150K net ahead per year. So uh, that's a huge difference. And I kind of forgot about the tax component of it. I just sort of looked at the commission, but that was very interesting to me. So hopefully you find this conversation enlightening like I did. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform. Very easy for borrowers to use. As they fill out that app, it's automatically figuring out what documents are going to need. When you get the documents in, it's very easy to review them, give them a thumbs up, thumbs down. Here's what I need. When you go to figure out what to do with that file, then you can go into Lender Spotlight. It'll show you all the rates and guidelines. And when you finally get ready to hit submit, it actually goes, hey, you're going to send it to this lender. Don't forget these policies, as well as it takes all the key information from the application, puts them in the lender notes. Many of you don't realize, but every lender has, if you actually sat in their office and looked over their shoulder, you'd be like, wow, that's what you get? Like from what I send to you and what you see? This makes it much easier for your underwriters and they'll give you yeses faster. So if you're interested in finding out how they can help you, we use them with all the rookies at our brokerage and it's a very easy platform to pick up. Check them out at lendesk.com slash Finmo to get a free demo and check out this conversation I have with Milosh. Hey Milosh, welcome to the show. Hey sir, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. So hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, a little bit about myself. I moved to Hamilton. I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, back in middle school, around grade six. Stayed there, didn't budge, right? I mean, just moved around from different parts of Hamilton as I kind of grew older. Went to McMaster University, where I got my bachelor degree in commerce with a minor in economics. Throughout those years, I stayed tight with my community, with my friends. I mean, I'm still really good friends with the people I grew up with that I met in middle school and high school. That's actually where I met the guys I work for at Synergy, Josh, Greg, and uh, Jacob back in grade six, actually. So stay tight with them. Married with a very supportive wife that supports the crazy hours I do and the ups and downs of the stress of being a mortgage broker. And I'm blessed with uh, three boys, age seven, four, and one. Been in banking for about, before joining the mortgage broker world for about 15 years. All different types of roles throughout the, one of the big five banks, so from being a teller, right, to managing, right? And this is my second year as being a full-time mortgage broker. Right. Okay. So there's lots of things that I want to unpack with that. So what made you decide to leave? You were a successful mortgage specialist at the bank. What made you decide to be like, hey... I'm going to go into being a mortgage broker. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, to be honest, yeah, I was doing well as a mortgage specialist at the bank. I mean, what happened in the last couple of years that I was there, I saw 
a big shift in culture, right? Where with that shift, I mean, it was, it was just spinning wheels. I was trying to get to the same answers, trying to service my customers to a certain level that I want to have for my customers. And I couldn't do it anymore, right? I mean, it was out of my hands. Whatever was happening in the background, it was just causing more stress than my reputation was being kind of, I don't want to say tarnished, but kind of a little bit, right? So I always had the itch to kind of be more entrepreneurial where I know Josh and Greg growing up, I used to chat on a regular basis where, okay, I took a risk before when I did this. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Let's take a risk and see where this goes, right? Right. And so were you finding that you were just, was it a service thing? Were you getting more no's? Was it harder to get files approved and you wanted more options? What was it specifically? I don't want to say more no's. I just think I couldn't get to that yes as fast as I was before. Right. And I found that, let's say every third file was like pulling teeth. It was arguing and it, and it wasn't me. Right. I found myself, if I step back from that picture and I kind of say, well, wait a minute, I don't argue with underwriters. Like I was getting mad. Right. So I'm like, well, something's obviously wrong here. My customers are still the same. Like the applications are still the same. But I just found that I was getting more stressed out trying to fight for my customers, right? That I, in my heart, thought was a good deal, right? So I was like, I was done with that. Right. So, okay, when you decided that, okay, I'm going to make this shift, what's been the biggest, like, learning curve that you found moving from being, you know, working at one lender, which we shall not name, although you could figure it out by LinkedIn, yeah. and they have a comfortable chair that might be <laughs> a green in color. But anyways, we won't go there. Yeah, so, because, yeah. uh, hey, we work with these guys. So, but... What was the biggest learning curve that you found from being there to what you're doing now? I think mortgages are the same, right? Across the board. I mean, there's some variance depending on each situation, right? But ultimately they're the same thing, right? I think the biggest thing that for me was like, well, nobody cares who you are. Nobody knows who you are, right? So once you start sending applications, you have to kind of go back to your roots and, well, let's tell the story. Let's figure out, hey, I know how to position a deal. I know how to package a deal. I know how to tell that story, why we're applying for this mortgage. And then just figuring out different lenders have different kind of slight policy changes, right? So just figuring out, and then we have a lot of options right on this side and just not to overwhelm yourself, take on a little bit of time, right? Learn on your spare time and figure out where each customer fits, right? So just that starting from the beginning almost, right? Right. And so you said like, they don't know who you are. So basically because you were doing pretty good volume at the bank, they were like, oh, it's your file. There's yeah. Whereas now they're brand new. They're like, I don't know who you are. You may not know how to spell mortgage. So why am I going exactly. to look? So then you have to go back to your basics, basically. Go back to basics. Exactly. Make sure exactly. That, yeah. that you, yeah. When you show them that you know what you're doing, then they're going to trust you more. And then, so exactly. have you yeah. found that since you started two years ago? 100%. Yeah, I think so. So this, I started March last year. So I'm just about maybe a year and a half into the full-time mortgage brokering role. I think I've set that rapport up with, the lenders that have the BDMs that are still there constant, right? But I've realized that these things get changed a lot, right? And underwriters, I think they gave me a bit benefit of doubt when I get that phone call. They're more open, talk to me, right? They're not beating around the bush. And that's just from sending the files, right? That show that, hey, I'm sending a good file. I'm not sending a kind of throwing stuff and see what sticks to the wall. And that took a bit, right? I mean, you get humbled pretty quick, which is great. I mean, I think we all need that every now and then. Right. Yeah. It's a good reset. So then we, if you don't mind me asking, so when you were at the bank, what kind of volume were you doing? And then how did that impact or change when you became a broker? Yeah, no problem. I mean, back in the last few years as a mobile mortgage specialist, and it's a bit different. I mean, banks track all funds, all volume, new money, old money kind of stuff. I was doing about 70 to 80 million a year at that side. Right. On this side, I think my first year as a mortgage broker, just counting new money, I did about 46. And then, I mean, I'll have to ask the guys at Synergy where I'm at this year. Personally, I don't keep track. I used to kind of track and compare myself this time. I just uh, I just kind of judge it by the quality of life, how much free time I have, and then how many hours I'm working a day, right? 
Right. That's a better way to think of it anyway. So when you made the transition, and I'm sure you've been in the business for a while, you probably got people that know your referral sources. What was that like? So if I'm your referral source and you're like, hey, man, like, what did you say to me? I'm curious. Like, Uh, You know what? I mean, and I'll be honest with you that that was one of the biggest things, right? Being in that role for so many years and people kind of saying, hey, that's me. We'll go see him for a mortgage, right? You kind of get inside your head and think like, everything's going to dry up, right? Like nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to be like, well, I don't want to deal with you kind of stuff. And I actually spend time thinking on like almost making a script of what to tell my referral sources, what to tell my customers. And after a couple of calls, a couple of people, people were like, what are you talking about? Like nobody cares, right? Like your phone still rings the same. You realize fast that people do want to deal with you, right? Because they trust you. They trust your opinion. They come to you for that expertise. And then I had all these like, conceptions in my head like oh smokes like what if they say no right i yet knock on wood yet nobody said like no no i don't want to deal with you because you don't you don't work for the bank anymore right which is a great feeling right okay so basically in your head you thought it was a bigger deal than it was but at the end of the day exactly it's kind of like a realtor who changes from century 21 to remax and they think nobody cares man it's like yeah i trust you you're honest the brand is really secondary so their first sources they trusted you so they didn't really care they're like i don't do i trust you but if somebody asked you, why did you make the change? What would be your short answer to that? So you're there for like 15 years. Like, why would you do this now? Like, yeah. what was your answer to that? And I stuck with honesty. I said, uh, listen, I still have access to that lender. I mean, if that's the best fit, I have no issues with that lender. I think they're great. But I said, I just wanted to have more options for my customers. I just wanted to have, be able to also have that decision like that we can share together and say, hey, listen, Mr. Customer, here are your few options, right? Here's what kind of might best suit your situation for your long-term plan, short-term plan. And I said, I just thought it was the next thing to do in my kind of chapter, right? I mean, I was just getting that itch to try something new, right? Right, okay, that makes sense. And you know what, yeah. honesty is always the best policy. What surprised you most about the mortgage broker side? Because my wife used to work at the bank. And so what did people tell you when you were at the bank that when you came out, you were like, wait a second, that's yeah. not what the case is. Uh, what are some of the kind of myths that people may think? Oh, people, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I agree. No, I know exactly what you're asking. People have that misconception that like brokers are sleazy salesmen, right? Like they're trying to figure out, uh, make the best buck off you, right? Last few years, not so much, but before that, people were like, well, you don't want to deal with a broker, right? Charging lender fees, broker fees, like more expensive, that kind of stuff. Came into it. I mean, like I said, nothing really changed. I mean, I would get to this day, people call me, so what's your fee? And I was like, I don't have a fee, right? Like you're dealing with TD, we're dealing with Scotia. I don't have a fee, right? right? So I think some people still think that brokers charge that fee. A lot of the times, I mean, I stick to the business that I know and grew up with. I mean, so a lot of my stuff is A deals and B deals. So there's no fees added on top of that from on my end, really. Right. What about, what is a file type? Because this show is really for rookies. You're kind of, you're a rookie, sort of, but you're not real. Yes, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't call you Josh. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a true rookie. I'm just kind of squeezing you into this rookie show, even though I don't think you're a rookie. No, I get it. But other rookies be like, Scott, that's not right. But um, no, I, 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 what is something in terms of a file type and specific is helpful just because for the listeners that you could do now that you couldn't do. What's the solution that you have now that you didn't have previously? I think that would be helpful for them to kind of just get a sense. What I find, like one of the ones I find the most, my self-employed customers, right? So the customers that are showing great business income, great, you know, deposits on their business side, but they're not claiming it on the personal side, right? Where if they came with their notice of assessments, T1s or whatever, T4s or T5s, whatever, that wouldn't fit that box of that lender and it would be a straight note, Right. Where on this side, we have handful of lenders with the state and income program. We are very competitive rates, I think. 
And then you realize pretty quick, like once you get over that stigma of like, oh crap, I got to tell this customer, I got to charge him a fee, a lender fee, that a lot of times when you position, you tell them, listen, Mr. Customer, I got you the money. We got more than we needed, or we're going to clean all this stuff up. But there's a 1% lender fee. Like you get hung up on that fee because you've never done it before. Now you're like, they like that solution, right? It's not a big deal as to the customers that you think they are, right? Right. And especially if somebody's self-employed, they're used to looking at things like, what's the cost benefit of this? Like, yeah, exactly. I'll pay my accountant a bunch of money. So I pay CRA less money. If CRA is listening to this, I'm just joking. I pay all my taxes. But like, if you look at things in terms of, hey, the reason we're using this mortgage product is because you write down all your income. Awesome. You save $40,000 on tax means we now have to use this mortgage. But if you want to use a different mortgage, pay the tax. And it's like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, in that case, then it makes it, it's the choices of their tax planning and you know the different things yeah. you're doing that make exactly. exactly things okay that's really interesting and then were there any referral sources that were like no dude i love td or did you have any of that at all uh honestly no i mean i had a couple of builder sites where i was kind of tethered to right so i would have a lot of those type of customers and ultimately on this side there's no builder cap rate program there's no i couldn't service those as much what's good is i still stay in touch with that builder i still stay in touch with the sales people of that builder but i'm not on that site per se where i'm kind of doing the mortgages two years out. We're talking about, um, yeah, long-term rate holds. Because I was going to ask, rates. what's something that we can't do very well? And I'm yeah. curious, would you do a lot of long-term rate hold type like development projects when you were at the bank? In the last few years, yes. Because kind of where, even before COVID, like the builder side kind of blew up, right? People were lining up to buy builder homes. So I would do a lot of the builders at that point shifted because I think that was the time the qualifying stress test was introduced. So a lot of people that were buying builder homes, when they came to close, they couldn't get afforded, right? So a lot of the builders then kind of squeezed buyers to get that approval letter, build a cap rate with one of the banks that offer it. So I was doing quite a bit of builder homes. I don't want to say spinning wheels, but I was doing a lot of applications up front. And I mean, I knew that, hey, let's say 30% of these won't come back to me at closing time, right? Which it is what it is, right? But I mean, I do- So where, those well, why would they not come back? So let's say- Well, you're- I knew they were coming to me because- the bank offered a builder cap rate, right? I mean, ultimately when it came time to closing, which is two years out, year and a half or three years out, I mean, their situation could have changed. And then based on their other portfolio, I'm like, well, these guys are the deal with brokers, right? Just see where all each mortgage is, right? They just needed that yeah, letter. RMG, to get them that. MCAT, yeah, exactly, like, exactly, right? So you, know, you knew that ahead of time, right? But a lot of them stuck, right? I mean, a lot of those are my repeat customers now, right? That have sold and bought, refinanced. So they follow me along kind of where I went. Right, right. Okay. And then, so this is kind of technical, but I always just ask things that interest me. So what would the rates be on a builder cap mortgage? Like, so what are you looking at a premium between, you know, what were they? I can yeah, you know, well, let's say back so, then, I want to say within one and a half to 2%. So you basically have a cap rate, one and a half, 2% guaranteed for two years. And yes. did you have to re, everybody's different. Once that file has been approved, you have to re-underwrite it or is it done? No, unless there was a structural change, right? So if you wanted to say, I'm going to put less money down or put more money down, or if you wanted to, I don't know, add a co-signer on there, then you would have to reapprove and kind of read everything. But if you did your mortgage two years ago, everything was fine. We didn't touch anything. We just updated the rate, whatever is at that time of your closing, right? If it's a better rate, then we just rebooked that better rate. Then you're kind of good to go. Okay. So that's another advantage too, because as you know, there's having it done. So here's the thing. I always think that, you know, there's some things that brokers are really good at and there's some things that we're not. And so just stick the stuff and there's so much business exactly. and stuff that we're good at that you literally don't need to play in those pawns that it's like, I agree it's not you. worth the hassle. Right. Yeah. So, I agree with you. That's like me too. I'm like, I don't know private deals. I don't know too many of the B deals. I don't know 
South Eagles, I'm like, I'm good at this. I'm going to stick to this, right? I mean, yeah. if somebody calls me in that position, I don't mind referring it to a friend or a partner or something like that, right? And just being honest, right? Hey, that's not my cup of tea. Like, I think you're better off with so-and-so, right? That will kind of walk you through that process. Okay. How about on the software, like programs and stuff you use when you work that up? And we're talking about well, every bank's different, but how have you found the technology being inside the bank versus outside the bank? Like, you know what? I mean, I think inside the bank, you're kind of handcuffed to what they tell you you can use. Right. I mean, and that's because of certain policy rules, certain kind of rules and governances. Right. Like, so on this side, I mean, I'm kind of happy that I've learned those things and to kind of know why secure emails, certain stuff, right. Just because you want to protect information that's going back and forth with customers on this side, kind of, you can pick and choose what works for you. Right. You don't have to kind of use what's told to be used. Right. And so I like this side better. I mean, I'm not too technology savvy. I use a couple of things. I use Zoom for my meetings. I use the calendar invite people mm-hmm. where you can book their own appointments and a link to my application. So you can start your own application. And then basically just my phone, right? And you don't, the crazy part is you don't need a ton of stuff to do this business. No, so, exactly. okay, let me ask you this. So how do you manage your like files from like, you know, to know what is outstanding on files and yep. do you use a CRM and what did you use at the bank and what do you use now? Yeah, I get that. So back at the bank, we used to use what's it called um, a big one that everybody uses now. I can't remember. Salesforce? The name. So, Salesforce, that's the one. You see Salesforce is a different type of tools and stuff that was kind of filtered for you, right? And you can kind of filter closing date for your approval. On this side, what we use is Airtable a lot, right? We like Airtable because you can kind of log in, pick that file, we color coder, and we add our own filters on there to see where in the process it is. And if it's closed, right, you can kind of go back in the notes and say, oh, yeah, he's buying a second home, that kind of stuff. Me, on top of Salesforce, I use pen and paper. I have about four notebooks right beside me now with each customer where it is highlighted. And I have a whiteboard with stickies on there that I kind of shift. Hey, Scott's deal went from a pre-approval to conditionally approved to broken. Declined because of the 500 credit score. Yeah, exactly. Stuff <laughs> like, like that, right? So, Sorry, man, we can't uh, help you. Like, Yeah, like, for sure, right? So I have that. Like, I'm still kind of old school when it comes to that. But Airtable, sorry is something that we use because I have an assistant as well that kind of we can talk back and forth where if it's a Sunday, I don't want to bother them. I'll just jump on Airtable and say, oh, okay, that's where this is kind of thing, right? Okay, so did you have an assistant when you're at the bank? Yes, I had an assistant for the last few years, yeah. Okay. And actually, and so, that, my assistant kind of left with me and came on the broker side as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your assistant came with you. And then you have Ooh, the same so. assistant right now? Yes, same assistant. Okay, so I'm curious... You probably have friends because you've been to the bank for it. You bring a lot of friends there, people you've, you know. Yep. So what has their response been like when you said, hey, guess what? I'm going to the, you know, it's like I'm leaving. I don't want to make it like the empire in Star Wars and you're going to the rebellion. <laughs> I'm leaving the evil yeah. empire. Bye, Darth. I'm just teasing. But what have they said to you or what's been the response like? You know what? It's been pretty positive. I mean, I think I had a pretty good relationship with, because I kind of grew up in Hamilton, stuck around all the different branches in Hamilton and kind of knew a lot of the people in the, I get the retail life in that area. People understood why, right? I mean, the friends I had there, I mean, they were obviously sad for me to leave. But I mean, once that kind of the announcement came out, it wasn't a big deal, to tell you the truth, right? Like I had a couple of calls from some close friends. Like you realize like, whatever, like not too many people say, hey, I still see them when I do my banking, but people yeah. don't really care, right? And the other thing is I still stay friends with them, right? I mean, I do a lot of staff mortgages still, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they got better options. They still come to me for their mortgages instead of dealing with their, I guess, colleagues or whatever, right? Right, right, yeah. So what would you say to someone who's currently working at a bank, like in your kind of role or similar, and what advice would you give them if they were thinking about doing this? 
Yeah, no, good question. I mean, I'll kind of go off what I went through in my head to the thing. Sure, I mean, yeah. What was your like thought process? Yeah, I like, mean, uh, yeah. I, I think honestly, it will never be the perfect time, right? You can think like, I got to clean this up. I got to do that. Once you've decided that that's what you want to change, like, and that's the role, that's the transition you want to make. You're never too late, never too early. And there's never that perfect time where everything's going to line up. Things work out. Right. I mean, your phone keeps ringing. Right. I mean, as long as people know your name and your phone number, your phone is not going to stop ringing. Right. And then people that do need to get a hold of you, they're going to know how to get a hold of you. Right. In your head, it might be daunting. Right. Like a big change. And you think uh, that brand behind you is what's needed. But in reality, it's people that want to deal with you, really. Right. Right. Back to the real estate example. They don't care yeah. what broker yeah. is coming exactly. with. They're just like, if I trust the person, dude, you can yeah. be with whatever. It's yeah. just because ultimately this is a high trust transaction. It's exactly. A lot of, exactly. And it's complex. So, you know, you'd need good advice on it. And then, so kind of last couple of questions. So where is the source of your business been in this first year? And that's yep. my first question. Honestly, it's uh, repeat customers, right? People that text me that have my number. I save every customer's number in my phone just so I know who it is, right? And then conversations kind of save with technology now, right? So you kind of, you can always scroll up and see what you guys talked about last. So it's repeat customers that, especially in the last couple of years, wanted to get in the investment side, wanted to refinance. So that's who's reaching out. And that core group of real estate agents that I kind of use for the last 10 years, it's them, right? So that's basically repeat customers and two or three agents that I've consistently used, right? That kind of uh, kept using, right? That kept on uh, referring out to me. And is there any other sources of business that have opened up to you now that you're a broker? You know what? Honestly, I want to say yes. There was a little bit of a niche of those self-employed customers. Once I have the first couple of people that are, let's say, truck drivers or some kind of industry where they're self-employed, they don't show that income. They've told their friends, they've told their colleagues kind of, hey, listen, I'm like just through conversation, right, that they have, reach out to him, right? So I see him for my first year, now into my second year. I'm going to see double to triple with my self-employed customers that have to use that student income program, for sure. Right. That's awesome. This has been a great conversation, by the way. And I always Good. find it Interesting to see when somebody, it's a big decision that 15 years is like marriage. And honestly, and I don't lie about it. It was an emotional decision, right? I mean, it was a big deal, right? It's like breaking up with a girlfriend, right? Yeah. Uh, You bleed green and now you're like, what the heck? Like, you know, so, and then you change. And so, but it's cool and it's worked out for you. So let me ask some rapid fire questions. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? From Google, I mean, I would think that be quite a bit. I'm pretty private, except in that core group of friends and stuff like that, right? I'm not too active on social media, I don't update stuff, I don't post too much. I mean, that's something I think I would like to get better at. But one of the things that I found out recently is my seven-year-old started playing soccer. And I wouldn't think that I would be so intense and so um, passionate about my seven-year-old soccer games. But I'm there (laughs) every weekend. I'm yelling at him. I'm yelling at the players. I'm throwing my hands up. So uh, that's pretty cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? That one, actually, I saw that question. I was like, geez, I'm like, I watched so many movies. I don't know, right? But one of the ones that sticks out recently that I've seen the last few months is like Gladiator. And kind of, I was like, well, kind of told myself why. I said, because you see his journey and then like not giving up, right? Being resilient and kind of fighting for what you believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was an awesome movie when it came out. Yeah. What are three software programs or tools you can't run your business without? I think we touched a bit of it earlier. I think Microsoft Office and all the stuff that comes with it, right? So Outlook, Teams, Excel, that kind of stuff. I like that one. I use it daily. Zoom. Zoom is huge, right? Because it expanded my geography, right? Where I can Mm -hmm. meet with customers from literally, there's no borders really at that point. And the third one, which I just started kind of using more often just to kind of help with my time and just to help speed stuff up is the Calendly link where people can book their own kind of conversation or meeting with me online. Yeah. Yeah. And the link to the application, right? Or, hey, Scott, I can't start your application until Friday, but if you want, you can start inputting your stuff. Here's the link here, right? 
One of the things I did is I found somebody had this and I thought it was great, which was I have my own URL, which points yep. to my Zoom room. So meetwithscott.ca really cool, yeah. points to my Zoom room. So you could have like meet with Milo, Milos and then .ca or And then you could use that. And if somebody's like, hey, where does the Zoom room? You just send them that instead of like some weird looking Zoom. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, instead of that, like you have to physically go in and book and then come. Yeah, and, and I yeah. can find it anywhere. So even when I try to get to the room, I just type it in the URL and it opens it for me. So I don't yeah, have to go find the link. Good. What's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? I think, uh, and this kind of goes back to before as well, when I was a mortgage specialist as well, is uh, just do the right thing for the customer. Even if sometimes it doesn't mean you're going to get that sale or get that commission. I think the customers in general, they come to us for advice because they trust us. If you're giving them your honest opinion, your honest advice, I think that business is going to come back tenfold, right? Where they're going to come back to you eventually when they do need to purchase or refinance, or they're going to refer their friends and family just based on that initial conversation they have with you. And you're not trying to benefit out of this transaction, right? And I think it right. builds on your character and it, and it just gives you a good reputation, right? Which I think is important. It kind of sticks with you. Yeah. Right? If you say no to people, you actually build more trust than saying yes. Yeah. So yeah, most agree, people yeah. think it's the opposite because you're like, what a second, you're telling me no? And it's like, no, because that's not what yeah. I would do. Like, that was yeah. one of my bigger things early on is uh, telling people no faster, right? right? I found I was spinning wheels, trying to figure stuff out, avoiding that conversation, right? With people. And ultimately I knew it was going to be a no anyways. But I think one of the things I've gotten much better on is having that conversation, the client conversation and figuring out, well, how can we fix it, right? What's our solution here? Right. So where do people find you online? Online? Probably yeah. on the Synergy website, right? One of the About Us things. LinkedIn. I want to say that's about it, right? I mean, usually it's, uh, I don't have a Facebook page. You're on a TikTok channel it. where you're like dancing? No, no, I'm not dancing on TikTok at all. <laughs> not yet. I mean, got maybe the, down the, the disco road. music going or the techno. That's pending. <laughs> yeah, pending. Okay, man. Awesome yeah, to meet pending. you, man. Say hi to Josh and Jacob. Um, I and, will, sir. Uh, congrats on your success. Thank you, sir. Yeah, pleasure talking to you. All right. Thanks again for having to listen to this episode that I have with Ilosh. I really enjoyed that conversation. You know, one of the things I've thought about for a long time is that there's a growing number of people that are bankers that are thinking about making a change to the mortgage industry. And so if you want to go check out welovebankers.ca, we've got some resources there that you can check out for helping you, you know, make a good decision in terms of transitioning from banking to brokering. Check that out. Also, if you're trying to figure out, hey, I want to listen to more episodes that you talk to bankers, if you go to I Love Mortgage Brokering, set up a free power search account so you can actually keyword search all of our episodes and then type in banker, you'll be able to jump to every episode where somebody says that word or bank specialist and you'll be able to find all the episodes where we talk to these folks and pull out all kinds of pure gold. Go check that out. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you to Finmo for making these shows possible and I'll see you in the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.